Well, I'm going to start a new series. I had one more sermon left in that uh, act series, but it's like, you know, uh, let's just move on. So I decided to uh, move on to uh, this new series, and, and we're calling this Major Lessons, Minor Prophets. Major Lessons, Minor Prophets. And we're going to take a look at, uh, at several of our minor prophets in the Old Testament. Today is Joel. Um, for, for the next several weeks, we're going to enter in this sermon series, Major Lessons from Minor Prophets uh, within the Old Testament. Um, there, there are two sections of prophets um, uh, categorized as the prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, there are 17 uh, books that are considered the prophets. Whenever you're reading through the, the New Testament and Jesus or somebody refers to the Old Testament, rather than saying the Old Testament, they would say the law and the prophets. And, of course, the law is the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets would be these 17 books uh, that we categorize that way. Um, the first five books of prophecy are designated as major prophets, um, uh, and the final 12 books of prophecy are called minor prophets. The major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Uh, and they're, they're, they're major because, they're called major, not because they're more important or they have a greater message uh, than their minor. Uh, they're just called major because they're just longer. <laughs> uh, they're, they're bigger books. And also they address a more broader audience uh, in the major prophets. Uh, the minor prophets uh, were just short books. That's why they're called minor. Uh, and they dr addressed a more narrowly focused audience. The categories of the Old Testament books of prophecy, major and minor, are more about word count than they are about wisdom. So just keep that in mind. They're, they're, they're all filled with wisdom. The minors are just, uh, just short. Um, needless to say, when it comes to the books of the minor prophets, most of us have never done a deep dive into uh, like the book of Obadiah or Zephaniah. Maybe some of you have, but, but, but most of us have probably have not um, done extensive study in, in those, uh, those 12 minor prophets. Now, there are some that we're familiar with, like the book of Jonah. Uh, I mean, who hasn't heard of Jonah and the well, right? We, we've all, we're all familiar with that, that epic story of of a man being swallowed by a fish, it's, it's kind of hard to, hard to ignore that. <clears throat> uh, maybe some of us have, have remembered the book of Hosea uh, because of that story. That's a story, a scandalous story about a, a man whose wife was a prostitute, and we might remember that. Uh, maybe you, you remember that story, but you didn't realize it was the book of Hosea. Uh, uh, but the other ten uh, minor prophets a lot of times get lost in the footnotes of the Bible, uh, and we, we don't really know a whole lot about them. So since most of us uh, don't have a strong working knowledge of these obscure books, I thought it, it would be good to take a few weeks to survey some of them and just take a look at them. Now trust me when I say that many of these books, as I study and present these messages, are going to be brand new experiences for me. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm sure I've read them all. I think uh, that that's, could be said honestly. But I, 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 to be honest, I couldn't tell you much about, if anything, about a lot of them, most of them. 
but hopefully by the end, as, as I study through them and present these messages, we'll all know a little bit more about the minor prophets. Um, the 12 minor prophets can be broken down into basically four time periods of history. Uh, scholars will disagree here and there about dates and times. It's, it's, it's difficult sometimes to date some of these books because uh, there may not be a lot of references that you can hang on to and say, oh, that happened at this time in history. Um, uh, there's not a lot of things to, to help date. Um, but they, they do have a general, we, scholars do have a general feeling about, uh, about when these books were written. So the first ones that we're going to look at uh, were written in what is considered the er, an earlier time period, the, the, ninth century, eight, uh, the late 9th century, early 8th century. Remember in, in B.C., B.C. Remember in B.C. timing, uh, the closer it gets to us, the smaller the number gets. And in A.D. timing, the closer it gets to us, the larger the number gets. So um, uh, we're going to be looking at this earliest time period. And, and most scholars feel that uh, in that category are the books of Jonah, Obadiah, which we're going to look at next week, and today, the ever-popular book of Joel, uh, one of my favorites uh, that I've never read. Uh, <clears throat> or I don't remember reading it. I'm sure I've read it, but I don't remember reading it. Uh, until this, this past week. Um, now, let's be honest. How many of you have ever studied in depth the book of Joel? You don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But uh, uh, if, you, if you have, uh, uh, I saw a couple. So, uh, uh, but most of us have not. How many of you on Facebook are here with say, I've never even heard of the book of Joel <laughs> before? Um, uh, a little transparency before studying for this sermon. I, again, I, I don't think I could tell you anything about the book of Joel other than it's a, one of the minor prophets. And, and the only reason I would know that is because I had to memorize it in college and call it back on a test. Uh, so uh, very, very little known about the man Joel except uh, of what we read in verse 1. We know one thing. He's the son of Pethuel. Pethuel. Uh, but today, we're, we're, we're going to get an overview of his prophetic book and find out what the major lesson from this minor prophet is. So here's something that, that, that helps me, and maybe it'll help you uh, to remember each of these minor prophets as we go through them. Uh, so I'm going to give you, for each one of them, I'm going to give you one word that can jog your memory. Oh yeah, that's, that's the book of of whatever. Uh, and, and, and the word, the one word for Joel is locust. Locust. Um, now, we know what our locust is, right? It, it's just a big old grasshopper. Uh, now, I know when I was a kid, we called the cicadas locust, but that's not the kind of locust we're talking about. We're talking about these giant um, grasshoppers, grasshoppers, for those of you from back in the 70s. <clears throat> uh, what was the name of that show? Karate Kid. No, no, not Karate Kid. Uh, Kung Fu. Kung Fu, that's right. Uh, no, it's, 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 it's a big old grasshopper. Uh, when I was um, uh, on my sabbatical back in 2009, uh, I rode my motorcycle from here to Phoenix, Arizona, and then up to uh, 
uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and to the mountains of East Tennessee, uh, and uh, over a three-week period, I drove about 5,500 miles. Um, and uh, when I was going through Texas, I had gotten on this rural road on one occasion uh, with cornfields all around. And, and as I was riding down this road, all of a sudden, there was this explosion on my windshield. Boom! Scared me half to death. Um, and, uh, and all it was there was just guts. I mean, the whole windshield was covered with guts. And it was not a bird. There was no feathers. It definitely was not a bird. Uh, I, I don't know what it was, but I think it was just a giant grasshopper. And it must have been huge because I had to stop to clean my windshield off. I couldn't see uh, out of it. It was so big. Um, uh, some of the, and the, these grasshoppers we're talking about here, these locusts, are not the little green ones that land on your knee, you know, when you're sitting at a picnic. Uh, it's, it's, they're huge. They're huge. Um, Joel begins to build his message from the Lord with a current event that had happened to the people. Recently, Judah, and it, looks, it seems that Joel is writing to the southern nation of Judah, um, Judah had gone through a devastating tragedy. We don't know how long ago it was, but it, it was probably pretty fresh in their minds. Uh, a swarm of locusts had devastated their land. Let's read Joel chapter 1, verse 4. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Um, have you ever seen a swarm of locusts, of these giant grasshoppers? Uh, Diana was talking about uh, she had seen uh, katydids or, or cicadas, uh, uh, lots of them uh, in her life before. Um, um, here, here's a picture of, of a swarm of locusts. You ever seen anything like that? Um, can you imagine? Um, there's a farmer standing in the middle of a swarm of these giant grasshoppers, um, engulfing him. And what, you know, what an incredible phenomenon that must be, especially if you're a farmer and something like this comes uh, into your, your land. Um, for a country or a region that depends totally, almost completely on agriculture, this is devastating. It's devastating. Um, because what they do is they land on all the vegetation, trees, plants, crops, um, and they strip them bare. Uh, you know, there's millions and millions and millions of them, and every single one of them's got to eat. And they all have a huge appetite. Uh, and so they swarm in, and they, there's nothing that you can do to stop them. And they destroy everything, everything. Uh, they destroy your food, which destroys your livelihood, uh, which destroys your community. And this, in that time period especially, uh, could last for years. It wasn't something you just got over in a, in a few weeks or a few months. So in verse 2, Joel cries out, Has anything like this ever happened to you in your day or the days of your ancestor? So he's trying to put this devastating thing that happened to Judah um, in perspective, he's basically saying that this devastation that, that I'm talking about, that I'm reminding you about, is unprecedented. It had never, ever happened in their lifetime anyway. They'd never seen anything like this before. It was unprecedented. Wave after wave of these 
of these creatures are leaving nothing. Because as, as Joel describes it, the first wave came in. And then the second wave came in and ate what the first wave didn't eat. And the third wave came in and ate what the second wave came in. And the fourth wave came in and ate what the third wave um, didn't eat. And by the time the fourth wave was over, there was nothing left. There was nothing left. And so Joel, as he's reminding Judah about this, this tragedy, um, he addresses several different groups. First, he addressed the elders. Uh, the leaders of Judah, and he says to them that this story of disaster is something that you'll be passing down from generation to generation, you know. Uh, you, you know, your, your children's children's children will be talking about that great locust swarm that came and destroyed everything back in 82. Uh, you remember how terrible that was. Um, this, is, this, is, this is something that will last among you for, in memory uh, for, for generations. And then he turns to an interesting group to, to address, the drunkards. <laughs> it's interesting that he would do, apparently that was a big group uh, among Judah. He addresses the drunkards, you know, the ones who are normally content as long as they can dull life's uh, uh, troubles with booze, with alcohol. Uh, and he says to them, hey, guess what? No more booze. No more booze. Uh, because the wine is gone. You won't have anything to dull your senses anymore the, because all the, all the vines were devoured by the locusts. And if there's no vines, guess what? There's no wine and there's nothing for you to drink. Um, he, he describes the swarm of locusts like an army of invaders stripping the land. And he says to them, wake up and weep about this devastating event. Like many of the prophets, Joel is doing his best to beg the people to wake up. I mean, that's what prophets do. Wake up, everybody, wake up. Uh, and, and one of the things that can help wake us up is a disaster, right? Disasters have a great way of doing that. We think about 9-11, and certainly that woke our country up for about five minutes. Uh, and uh, we, we, many of us turn to God. Many people turn to God during that time. And right now, recently, as Daryl talked about, the the, 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 the hurricane that came through um, Florida and South Carolina, but especially Florida. You know, I'm sure a lot of people woke up and, and people who, you know, were, were going through the routines of life. Um, how many people there in, in that I-4 corridor, you know, they, they had their routines. They went to work. Their, their kids went to school. Um, they, they went to see the, their kids play sports. They they, they were looking forward to the holidays. They had their traditions. Um, you know, they had their routine, their, their daily, their weekly, their monthly, their yearly routine. Everything is normal. Everything's normal. And then, and then, what happened? Suddenly, un something unprecedented happened. Of course, there's been hurricanes in, in uh, Florida before, but for, for many of people, like this was the worst it had ever been. Uh, and everything they had, all the routine and normalcy of their life was completely wiped out, and now they're having to recover. Um, and, and not that you and I, any of us, can relate to any of this that, that we could label unprecedented. I mean, but, but just for example, let's say, I don't know, a worldwide pandemic was to hit us, uh, and, uh, and, and millions of people would be, would be affected and die from uh, some kind of worldwide pandemic, just, just for an example. Uh, and, and, then, and then you mix in uh, civil unrest, rioting and looting, um, 
Uh, you, you, you mix in ele- elevated crime, murder rates going through the ceiling uh, in our cities. Um, you, you throw in the, the recent renewed threat of nuclear war even. Um, you know, the last couple of years have truly been unprecedented for us in many ways, hasn't it? You know, right now, I, I think I, I divide time into before the pandemic and after the pandemic. You know, I, I see a, a YouTube video, um, and, and I see that was in 2018. Oh, that was before the pandemic, back before you had to wear these stupid masks and, and all that other stuff. Um, and, and now this is, this is after the pandemic. Maybe the lesson that we read about in Joel is just what you and I and the whole world need right now. So wake up, listen, disaster has struck, disaster has struck. Joel says to the citizens of Judah, mourn about that, mourn about this disaster. And he uses as an example a bride who loses the love of her life just before the wedding day. You know, we hear about that sometimes, right? Uh, Every now and then you hear about some couple that was just getting ready to get married that day, that afternoon, and, and on the way to the wedding, there's an accident, and, and, and one of them is killed. Um, and, and we think about how horrible that would be, how horrible that would be for the, the one who's left. Uh, and Joel is saying, you, you need to mourn like that, like that, uh, because it would be that horrible. Grieve, grieve. Um, to the... To the the priests and the, those who work at the temple, he talks about the fact that we can't sacrifice at the temple anymore uh, right now because two things. There's no oil because all the olive uh, uh, fields are, are completely devoured. Um, there's no oil. There's no animals because they're going to die because they have nothing to eat. And so there's no animals to sacrifice at the temple um, And and so Joel says to the farmer, to the farmer, despair, your harvest has dried up. He says in verse 12 of chapter 1, surely the people's joy is withered away. Are you depressed yet? Are you depressed yet? (laughs) And maybe this is why we don't like reading the the minor prophets. Probably so, probably so. Oh, that's depressing. Let's read about... uh, uh, joy somewhere, uh, something more encouraging. And maybe it's also a little bit too relevant for us. You know, when, when our everyday activities are threatened and challenged by the despairs of life and trauma, we don't want to read about that. We don't want to read about that. We want to pretend those things don't happen. And so Joel calls for the nation of Judah to lament, to mourn, to mourn. Uh, And interestingly, the the Israelites had a tradition of holding special services of national mourning. Uh, Imagine that. Uh, Let's get together. Let's get together and let's just cry, okay? uh, uh, Sunday at 3, we're going to get together and cry. Uh, I mean, they literally had that. Joel is convinced that the time has come for the community to do that. Let's meet in Jerusalem and have this service of lamentation at the temple. Verse 14 and 15. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land of the house of the Lord your God 
and cry out to the Lord. Alas, for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. There in verse 15, and then again in chapter 2, uh, we're introduced to a phrase that we find many times in the Bible. It's something called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. We start to see Joel shifting from a recent destruction that everybody's familiar with uh, and can relate to, the destruction of the locusts that came and just destroyed their, their livelihood. He shifts from that to now a prophetic talk or discussion. Using the imagery of this uh, known destruction of the locusts, he, he got their attention. Remember how terrible that was? Remember how terrible that was? He got their attention. And now with that, he starts talking about a future day, a future thing that's coming, a future event, a worse thing, a worse version of this locust plague that's coming. You know, prophetic talk is, is never easy to decipher uh, or to preach about sometimes because there's disagreement uh, about what it means, what this means, what that means. So um, let, me, let me just try to describe it in these terms uh, as, as a layered event, um, starting out like an onion with, with different layers. Layer number one is the current thing that actually happened, um, the locusts. That's layer number one. Everybody can relate to that. Everybody can, can remember that and, and, and see that. And then the second layer seems to be something in the immediate future that, that's going to be coming, a warning about something that's coming. And then on the top layer, there's some kind of eternal spiritual future meaning that is, is intended there. So in other words, we, we've seen the locust destruction. Everybody's familiar with that. This woke us up. This, this wakes you up. And now listen to what's coming next. Now listen to what's coming next. So chapter 2 describes what's coming next. Uh, it's an army, uh, and it mirrors the locusts in many ways in, in its destructive ability. Um, uh, it's going to be terrible. It's going to strip the land just, just as that did. But it was obviously shifting from the locusts to something else, something else that was coming. And this one has horses and men. And in this darkness and gloom, Joel says in verse, chapter 2, verse 1, let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Now, you thought the locusts were bad, and it was. You thought the locusts were bad. You just wait until the day of the Lord. Now, this is not going to be a welcome message from these people. They don't want to hear it, but they need to. You ever feel like things in life have turned south, and then it just gets worse? <laughs> it just gets worse? Um, I kind of felt like that was happening with me in the last three or four weeks. You know, it's like, okay, that'll be it. Now I can get back to normal. Oh, here we go again. There's something else. Um, now, are we talking about a physical army here in chapter 2? Uh, like the Assyrians, the Edomites who are going to come in and destroy everything, uh, invade? Or are we talking about the final judgment? Uh, because for us, we can, we can read about stuff like that in the book of Revelation. That's, that's, that's our prophetic book that, that applies to us as Christians, um, describing the final judgment. 
There we see a lot of similar images in the book of Revelation, like swarming armies uh, describing the final coming of of Jesus. Uh, When the army of God comes to defeat the powers of darkness, uh, maybe we're talking about both. Maybe we're talk- Maybe Joel's talking about there's there's an invasion coming, but there's even um, later in the final days there's the invasion that where God comes back. Um, Revelation nine verse three and seven through nine, and out of the smoke of the smoke locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates, like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. Um, you know, is, is Revelation describing a physical army? You know, a lot of people talk about the battle of Armageddon, you know, that's going to be some kind of nuclear thing, and everybody gathers over in Israel somewhere and, and, and actually has a physical, physical battle. Or um, is it something uh, uh, of a final battle at the, in, with, with spiritual armies? Uh, it's definitely describing that. It's definitely describing some kind of final battle, um, the day of the Lord. But for Joel and for us, the point of of Revelation and of Joel, prophetic books like Joel, is not to try to decipher every little bit of this prophecy. You know, I know a lot of people who, that's all they talk about. That's all they want to talk about is the end times and and this that happened yesterday, that means this, and this that that happened the other day, that meant that, and and they've got to figure out every little nook and cranny of, of all the, and try to figure out exactly what's going to happen. And that's not the point of Revelation. That's not what God wants us to get from it. No, the point is asking, something terrible is coming. Something terrible is coming. What can we do about it? What can I do about it to get prepared? Is there anything that I can do about it? Now, the past is filled with destruction and darkness. And we've all seen it. We've all seen Destruction and darkness and trauma in our lives. Um, the future and final day of the Lord is coming. And that, folks, is going to be worse than anything that you and I can imagine in this life. Joel was trying to help them see that too. Much worse than some kind of a locust swarm. So what can we do about it? What can I do about it? What can the people of Judah do about it? So Joel doesn't just tell them about doom that's coming. He tells them what they can do about it. Chapter 2, verse 13. Joel says, rend your heart, not your garments. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Okay, so Joel gives us, gives them and us, a call to action. All right, this horrible thing's coming. The day of the Lord's going to be bad, but it, it doesn't have to be bad for everybody. There's hope for us, even as bad as it's going to be. 
And here's, this, here's the, the advice. Rend your heart, not your garment. Now, what does that mean? Rend your heart, not your garment. You know, my son, uh, Jason, is a chaplain in the Kildova Hills Fire Department. Uh, he's also a firefighter, but, he, but one of his main roles is that of a chaplain. And one of his responsibilities uh, as a chaplain is to do something called a death notification. And he's had to do several in, uh, so far in the years he's served there. Hopefully none of you have ever had to do that or experienced that, although some of you have. Um, and, you, and if you have, you know how horrible a death notification can be uh, when you receive terrible news about the loss of a loved one. What, what Jason has to do, uh, he goes with, a, with an officer, and he'll, after an accident has happened, usually it's an accident, um, uh, he'll, if it's a local person, he'll go to the family's home, and maybe they don't know about it yet. Um, He'll go to the family's home to tell them about it. Um, or if it's a visitor, a vacationer, and this, this has happened several times, um, he, he, the family's waiting in the, in the waiting room, and he has to go in there and give them this horrible news. Um, and, and Jason has said that, you know, there's nothing, no words to describe what happens. What happens? It's just horrible, and... There's nothing you can do. It's got to be done, and there's nothing you can do as the family just falls apart. Um, and uh, Joel talks about what happens when the Jewish people heard horrible news like that. Uh, they would tear their garments. They would rend their garments. Um, it, it's just a Jewish thing. You know, they, they'd heard maybe the death of a loved one. They would just take their coat and just rip it apart. Um, and, and what was the purpose of that? It, it was very symbolic, I would think. The tearing of their clothes symbolized the tearing of their hearts as they are hearing this horrible news. Um, and so that's what Jewish people did when something terrible happened. When the locusts came and destroyed all their crops, they, crops, they would rend their garments. Now, with this message Joel has given them, uh, you, you, you might find that all who hear of the coming day of destruction... When Joel says, hey, something worse than locusts is coming, maybe they would, oh no, and they'd rip their clothes. Uh, they would rend their garments. But Joel puts a twist on it, and he says, look, don't rend your garments about this news. Rend your heart. Rend your heart. Do you, know you want to know what you can do in the face of this coming judgment that's coming? Um, Rend your heart, not your garment, not your garment. You see, outward signs are important. You know, they symbolize something. They symbolize the tearing of, of a heart, maybe, uh, the ripping of clothes. It symbolizes that you're upset. People see you rending your garment, and they go, man, something bad must have happened. Uh, look, look, that person's rending their garment. But Joe was saying uh, that these visual displays, okay, they have their place, and they're good, uh, but when the day of the Lord comes, just, just rending your garment is useless. If that's all you do is just tear your clothes, it's useless. Instead, in the day of the Lord, you need to rend your heart. You need to rend your heart. Now, this call to action is, 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 is what we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about this morning. What does it mean, rend your heart, not your garment? Now, hopefully by now you, you realize that uh, this is not just a message for ancient Jews, right? 
The day of the Lord is coming for everyone, for all of us. We've all been hearing about that all in our lives as Christians, haven't we? And our grandparents knew about it, and our great-great-great-grandparents who were Christians knew about it. The day of the Lord is coming. Um, this message of the day of the Lord coming uh, is uh, for every generation, ever since the days of Joel. Um, and the message is that the despair that we witnessed in life, and there's a lot of it for, uh, for all of us, it's going to be worse. It's going to be worse when God comes. Unless, unless we turn our hearts back to God. We turn our hearts to the Lord. And Joel pinpoints a, a key mistake that sometimes we make. Sometimes we, we go through the motions of turning our hearts back to God, but we don't actually do it. It's just all outward. It's just all outward. Inwardly, we have not done it. You know, tearing your garment uh, in grief is, is a, it's a tradition. It's a powerful display. Um, and, and, and too many of us might do something like that just to put on a show about, look how religious I am. You know, we, I love Jesus. Boy, man, I love Jesus. He's so wonderful. Uh, and we come and we sing songs and we raise our hands uh, in, in praise and, and we close our eyes and we, we, we read the, the Bible and we have really good church attendance. We're, we're there every time the doors are open. People watch us get baptized and they all celebrated. Um, but all of that is great, but it's worthless. It's worthless if, we, if our heart is not in sync with those outward things. So Joel says, rend your heart. That's what's important. And this is an amazing depiction of something that we call, that we might call, repentance. Basically, that's what rending your heart is. Repentance. Repentance. You know, as we talk about the Lord showing us compassion, slow to anger, abundant in love, and, and, and offering us salvation. We, we have salvation in store for us from God. Um, but re repentance is a part of that salvation. Um, and it's one of the hardest things, the most difficult parts of salvation for you and me. Repentance is absolutely essential for our salvation. Um, we talk a lot about baptism and how important that is, and it is important. Uh, it's scriptural. Jesus commanded it. The apostles commanded it. Um, uh, and so we, 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 we do that. Um, but the, the most difficult, and that's easy. Getting dunked in the water is easy, right? The hardest part about salvation is repentance. <laughs> that's got to come before we get dunked in the water. That's essential before a baptism. Baptism is worthless without repentance. And the idea is that we tear our hearts. So think of it this way. You tear your hearts away from the world. You tear your heart away from your old ways that you live in sin. Uh, you, you tear your heart away from selfishness. And you start walking in the light of Jesus. That's what repentance is, tearing your, tearing your heart away from sin and the world and giving your heart to Jesus and walking with him. Let me just say, if rending your heart is not a part of your walk with God, then everything else is worthless. Baptism, church attendance, 
giving, ministry, whatever physical, outward thing you get involved with, if you have not rent your your heart and repented, turned to God, everything else is worthless. Joel seems to be hitting on a topic that, that many Christians struggle with. Uh, an outward display of faithfulness without an inward dedication to Jesus. But Joel prophesied, listen, there's hope, folks. There's hope for you. Um, There's a terrible thing coming for the world. Horrible, worse than anything we could possibly, worse than any hurricane we could think about. Any locust plague. It's a horrible thing that's coming to the earth. But for you... There's hope. For you, you don't even have to think about it. You don't have to worry about it the first second. Because the Lord is prepared to relent this calamity for you. For you. If you will, repent. Repent. Rend your heart. Not only will he save you on the final day, but Joel prophesied that God will send help for us in the final days. You know, one thing I know, I know about my life, if, if I've got to repent and rend my heart on my own power, it ain't happening. It ain't happening. There's only one way that I can be successful in repenting, and that is with the help that God sends us in the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting, when you read the book of Acts, after Jesus' resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his establishment of his church, um, when, when, remember when we talked about this a few weeks ago, when, when Peter was was presenting that very first gospel message. You know what he included in that message? A quote from Joel. A quote from Joel, chapter 2, verse 28 through 32. And this is what Peter included in the very first gospel message, Acts 2, 16 through 21. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great glorious day of the Lord. Tragedy's coming. The moon's going to be turn to blood um, the darkness will fill the earth and then the last verse and everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved saved from what saved from that calamity you won't have to experience that see long before jesus came and, and made a way for us to be saved before the church began joel prophesied that destruction is coming, but destruction is not a future for you. If, if you call on the name of the Lord, it's not for you. You don't have to worry about it. So, we look around and we might, maybe we don't see swarms of locusts in our crops, um, but we understand it. There's, there's calamity in the world, right? We've all experienced it. We know what despair is. Um, We can preach about it. Wake up, wake up, listen. The day of the Lord is coming, and it's going to be worse than anything we can think about that has happened to us already. But there is hope. There is hope for anyone 
who decides to follow the Lord. So, rend your heart. Rend your heart and not just your garments. Turn Jesus, turn to Jesus fully, not just on the outside, but wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly from our heart. Rip your heart away from anything that stands between you and God. Because despite the despair that's coming, God has in store for you compassion and love and salvation. Father, I thank you so much for this message of Joel. Uh, It's a little disturbing (laughs) when we think about uh, what's coming. And I've often thought about, sometimes we don't like to talk about hell and fire and, and all those things, but it, it's, it's what you have promised is going to happen. You've been promising this since the time of Joel and before that. Um, but, but for all of us who are your people, we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to worry about it a bit. All we've got to do is just rend our hearts, repent, put our faith in Jesus, and, and we're home free. And Lord, help us to realize that, you know, it's not just for us, but it's for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And so help us to realize that people around us who don't know Jesus, they're going to experience this horrible day of destruction if they don't know your son, Jesus. And so help us to be, to be compassionate about others so we can help them see the hope that's in your son, Jesus and help show them the way. So, Father, thank you for this tremendous message. May we rend our hearts, not our garments. In Christ's name, amen.